and welcome back to the Ride Podcast. I'm Michaela. And I'm Nicole. And this week, we have an episode with Laurel Denton. Yeah, Laurel's been a longtime contributor to Horse and Rider Magazine. She's done training features. Our senior editor, Jenny Forsberg-Meyer, did a really good profile on her that really goes in-depth to her riding career as a professional and growing up on this historic ranch in Arizona. You can check that out. It's called Thoroughly Modern Cowgirl, and it's on our website. If you didn't get a chance to read it when it was in the print magazine, it's totally worth checking out. And the photography, we had Mallory Beinborn of Impulse Photography go out and do a photo session. And then uh, former editor-in-chief Jennifer Paulson did photos for it. Uh, It was beautiful. So it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, and aside from that, she is an inspiring cowgirl as well, which is why she writes the Inspired Rider column in the print magazine. Yeah, uh, we rotate between her and Amberly Snyder, so every other issue, she is our Inspired Rider columnist, and she talks about everything from, you know, stuff from her childhood to what's currently happening to some of the most memorable times she's been in the show pen, so it's really worth checking out, and those are also on our website. Yeah, and so let's dive into some current events now, and I know that I've been riding, I have my horses at my place, but Nicole, you have started riding again. I'm riding! Yes, it's been a long couple of months here in quarantine, but the barn that I ride at is finally starting to open up. They have some procedures in place to keep everybody safe, so we wear masks when we're not riding or outside uh, just to make sure that everybody is uh, staying safe while we are out there. So it was a lot of fun. We went, I went out this weekend and was helping push some cattle around and getting them wormed and all the, all the fun stuff that comes with owning cattle. So it was, it was really nice. And it was just great to catch up with the people that I ride with, uh, Janie Jill Toynton and her daughter Monique and Janie Jill's husband, Bill. They're all such lovely people. And I'm so thankful that they let me come ride with them. And so it, it was, it was really nice to be back in the saddle. Yeah, and speaking of Janie, Jill, and Monique, we plan to have them on a podcast episode coming up. So stay tuned for that because they are also really great people. I met them when we did a Horse and Rider On Demand shoot with them, and their horses are phenomenal. And Janie, Jill has some amazing stories about her horse and, well, all of her horses, I would assume. Yeah, they're so nice to let us use their facility for a video shoot and, uh, you know, like... Like you said, Janie Jill has some fantastic stories and her daughter Monique does a lot of natural horsemanship and does a lot of clinics and and works with a lot of problem horses and tries to give them a second chance. So I am super excited to have them on a future podcast, but I'm not the only one riding. You are getting ready to go to a rail race for the first time in how many months? Yeah, this is going on two months that I have not been to a barrel race. So I'm finally able to go and compete There have been different shows that have been planned and then canceled and then planned and then canceled due to the stay safe, stay at home orders. So tonight looks like it is finally a go. The producers have worked really hard to make not only barrel races, but other events and horse shows happen. So super thankful to their hard work and dedication that they've put into these upcoming events that are going to be a total change of pace for all of us competitors. Like you said, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, we had a stay at home uh, order. Now it's safer at home orders and the barrel racing community has had to adjust the way that they put on events. So can you kind of tell everybody what exactly it is they're doing to, to kind of stay within these orders? 
Yeah, so the limit to the number of people is 10. So right now they have time sessions of horses of 10. So you're allowed in your 30-minute session one warm-up exhibition to be able to go around the barrel pattern. And you're welcome to decline that. And then after the warm-up sessions are completed, then they run the 10 set of horses. And then after you are done running, you pack up, you go home, and then the next set runs. And it's really cool because you're able to pick the time slot that you run in. So I'm able to know exactly what time I'm going to be running. And when you run more than one horse, that's really handy to have. And I hope that it's something that we can do going forward because going to barrel races and spending all day just because I run two horses and there's 50 to 100 horses in between them is not my favorite thing to do. I love hanging out with my friends at barrel races, but sometimes there are other things that I just want to do. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see what all the uh, events have been doing to try and, you know, cooperate with these shelter at home, stay at home orders. You know, I know a lot of horse shows and barrel races, like you said, have been getting canceled or postponed. But we're finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, a lot of horse shows are, are starting to announce uh, their either rescheduling or they are planning to go through with their original event. Uh, one in particular that just announced that they're going to continue planning forward is the Run for a Million in Las Vegas at the South Point Casino. And that is going to be the second year that they're doing this event. And it goes with The Last Cowboy, which is a reality TV show on Paramount Network. And Michaela, did you get a chance to watch that? No, it's in my Amazon watch list, but I have yet to actually sit down and watch it. Yeah, it's so it's produced by the same guy that does Yellowstone, which I know that you've watched because you and I always talk about the the current episode whenever it's in whenever the season's going on. Yes, love it. So if you guys haven't checked that out, be sure to check it out and The Last Cowboy. Yeah, so uh, the the event with the Run for a Million was to go with this TV show. And like the, the last episode is the actual event. And you're following these horse trainers as they're pre preparing for, you know, this event where they can win a million dollars. And so they weren't sure for a while what was going to happen because obviously a lot of productions have been halted. They're not flying anywhere. No events were going on. So they weren't really sure what was going to happen. But it sounds like the TV show is still going to happen for season two. Uh, and then the event is still planning on going on, which I'm so happy about because they actually introduced um, a invitational for the cow horse stuff. Cool. I know that I really like watching the cow horse. And I mean, I, of course, love the raining, but I think cow horse is pretty cool. So being able to add that to an event to get it some more recognition to events in the Western industry that aren't always recognized is pretty cool. Yeah. there And there's some big payout, like, uh, you know, $100,000 for the, the cow horse invitational. There's a a rookie class there's a non-pro event and so it's it's a really fun event and I didn't get to go last year and I was really hoping to go this year I don't know if that's going to happen with everything that has adjusted with coronavirus I know that our schedules are going to get pretty busy in the end of the year since we haven't been able to do anything in the beginning of the year but um yeah I was I was super excited to go to that and see it because everyone I've talked to and this is from people who are in the media these are people who are just fans of horse shows and all that say it is the most fun they have ever had at a show really mm -hmm. so I it's on the bucket list yeah I think I would definitely like to go see it I mean who doesn't like Vegas to begin with I mean I went to the NFR and 
that was my fun little trip. I didn't go for work. So I would love to go and go back actually for the run for a million as well because I just like to watch different horse events. Of course, I love barrel racing, rodeo, but my heart loves everything Western horse life. Yeah, and it's such a cool event because they get to pick the horse that they're going to compete on and they can qualify with different horses. And then at the horse show, they get to decide what horse they're going to compete with. And so we saw last year some of the really, really popular derby horses. We saw a couple of really famous studs in the mix. So it's you never know what you're going to get, but you know it's going to be the best of the best in that barn. So it's it's a really exciting event, and uh, I'm glad that it's going to continue on the, going forward this year. Yeah, and you'll probably see that in an upcoming Saddle Chat section in the print magazine. And speaking of the print magazine, we just went to print yesterday. So be looking for that in your mailboxes in the coming weeks. Yeah, man, what an issue. It was, I'm I'm super proud of everybody and everything that is in this magazine. We started going through the cycle right as the coronavirus was hitting the United States. And this was a really big change for a lot of people on our staff. We are so used to going into the office and, and collaborating and working with people. And so as we were starting this issue, we were also packing up our offices to work from home indefinitely. And we still are working from home indefinitely. Yeah, but even though we were working remotely, it came together and it's a really nice issue. Like I just mentioned the saddle chat. I think that's one of my favorite parts of the magazine, this issue. There are so many interesting things and I think that the coronavirus kind of helped that because we've been able to do a lot more things and we're chatting socially. So be sure to check out that as well as all of the other training and other content that you know and love yeah you mentioned saddle chat and i absolutely loved we love when you guys send us letters emails letters everything we want to hear about your horse life and this guy emailed us this lovely letter about the she shed which we all love the name by the way uh but he built this uh tack shed for his wife and he's not a horse guy but he wanted to do something to incorporate her love of horses and just you know be able to do something together and he wrote us this lovely letter sent us these really cool photos and so I definitely think it's worth checking out and if you're doing cool things like that like tell us yeah be sure to email us at horseandrider at aimmedia.com and send us all of your cool photos I mean even if it's just a photo of you and your horse we want to see it but back to the she shed the inside of this tack shed i am so envious i wish that my tack room was this cool yeah this guy truly thought of everything every like anything from where to store an extra bale of hay to where to keep your shavings to you know the saddle racks the helmet holders all of the stuff and it is it looks like a western building it is super cool yeah and I mean, you're able to see some of the other tax sheds because I think it's at a racetrack facility and they have a bunch of different tax sheds and all the other ones are so plain Jane. And then this one just stands out and it is adorable. When you get the magazine, check it out. Tell us what you think. And if you're doing cool things like that, let us know. Michaela is also doing really cool things right now. She's on TikTok. Yes, I have joined the world of TikTok with Horse and Rider Magazine, and I am having so much fun. I used to look at TikTok and just not really understand it, but now that I've downloaded it and started creating videos, 
I have so much fun. It's like my nightly thing to do. I'll go out with my horses, do some TikToks, and then ride. And it's just so much fun. Yeah, Michaela is our Gen Z and our youngster of the group. So uh, we were all laughing at TikTok. And she kept sending me videos nonstop. And I finally started watching the videos. I am not making videos yet. I am still too old for that, but I appreciate them. And uh, yeah, if you enjoy just funny, lighthearted videos, you need to check them out. Michaela puts in a lot of thought and process into what she's going to do. And, uh, you know, you were quarantined. You have a roommate, but you were quarantined by yourself, essentially. And making these funny videos has been a way to for you to just do something. Yeah, and it makes me feel connected because I started actually doing funny videos before TikTok. So that's kind of why Nicole pushed me to be the one to join TikTok for Horse and Rider because I had some funny video experience and I was just having so much fun with those videos. And now that I'm doing it for Horse and Rider, I get to keep doing that. But they're not just all fun and silly. Most of them are, but some of them are behind the scenes looks at things with horse and rider that you might not otherwise see yeah and just cool cool videos from you know when we've been on video shoots or at events and just what we do behind the scenes basically so uh if you're on tiktok check it out if you're not on tiktok you should still take the time to check it out because they are pretty funny but um enough of tiktok let's get to the interview Today's episode is brought to you by Martin Saddlery and Michaela, I don't know about you, but I have a favorite pair of reins that I want to use on every bridle and they just, they have a, a texture and a softness and a suppleness and I love the weight of them and how thick they are or, and so I don't know about you, but like having a set of reins that you really love is super important to me. Yeah, I definitely have that one set of reins that no matter the horse, no matter the headstall, no matter the bit, I'm using that set of reins because I love them so much. Although it took me some time to find them because I had another set of reins that were my absolute favorite pair. And even though the pair that I'm riding with now is my new favorite pair and I love them, they aren't exactly up to par with what those old ones were. But a horse stepped on them, broke them, so... Now I'm using these, but I love them, and it's just so hard to find that good broke-in feel with a set of reins. Yeah, I think that's the worst part about having to buy new reins is that they're stiff. I know I would always spend a lot of time oiling them up, trying to break them in just so I could use them because nobody wants to use really stiff reins. But Martin Saddlery has actually figured out a way to get that nice, old, supple-feeling rein right as you get them and they are amazing you and i have both had a chance to feel them and they are soft they are supple i love how they sit in my hand i'm excited to own a pair because i think that they will be the next set of favorite reins in my barn yeah this line features 5 8 inch hand rubbed double stitch variety of herman oak and latigo leather and they're put through Martin's signature process to give them that broken feel, which we all absolutely love. You can check out their website, www.martinsaddlery.com, to get more info on them. And also, feel free to reach out to them through Facebook or Instagram. They make quality, long-lasting leather tack in the great USA. 
joined in with Laurel Denton, who you might be familiar with in the print magazine as she writes the Inspired Writer column. Hello, Laurel, and how are you today? Thank you for joining us. Good, and thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, thank you. And um, I think it's really important to mention that you are a longtime contributor to Horse and Rider. You I have am. done training stuff for us. You've done, we did a really cool profile on you, which we definitely want to get into and talk to you more about, because I feel like those words, the 2000 words on paper are not enough to tell your true story. Well, well, thank you. Well, I'll say one thing that I have to say before we start, and I want to um, talk about the Horse and Rider magazine, and it's hard right now for magazines. I mean, you look across all the magazines that are struggling and going out of business. And I think during this time, Horse and Rider has made it a point to step up and becoming become really relevant in today's equine world. And I and my hat's off to you for that. Oh, thank you. Well, we're just, you know, we're trying to keep up with the times and, and especially with like this podcast, this is really new for us, but we're so excited to, to kind of get to work with people like you are the professionals who have been in horse and rider for years and years and get to know them on a more personal level, which is kind of what we wanted to do when we created this podcast. Well, let's get started. I'm ready. <laughs> Perfect. So I think, um, let's start back from the beginning. You grew up on this iconic ranch in Arizona and you're still there today. So can you kind of talk about your up, your upbringing? Well, I can. So um, my parents were wonderful people. I was very lucky in the fact that they were both horsemen and cattlemen. But they, they bought this Bar U Bar Ranch in 1945 after the war. I have a sister that's older than I am. And so I, I was raised on this ranch in central, kind of north central Arizona. Um, it's 84 sections. Um, it was at the time, and the section is 640 acres or a mile, square mile, and um, so it was big. You know, we had about 750 head of cattle, and that's what my folks did for a living. They rode every day. We, they gathered cattle. They took care of the cattle, and that's how I grew up. Um, when I was uh, a senior in high school in 1972, my dad was losing his eyesight, so we sold off three uh, quarters section, three quarters of the ranch and kept part of where we are now. It was just open range, but it was a little bit closer to town, and I wanted to do the horse thing, so that's what um, they, we, built, we built it strictly pretty much for horses. We still had cattle, only not as much, and so I've been on this part of the ranch since 1972, but it's been in our family forever. Um, the... Um, the growing up part of the ranch, I mean, I can't tell you, I've always told, I tell everybody that I'm the luckiest person in the world to be afforded what I was growing up. Um, you know, the, the wide open country, the, the, the beauty of it all and the hard work and the ethics that my parents instilled in me. And along with that, the horsemanship, they were, they were just uh, both such ahead of their time as far as being great horsemen, because um, early, early on, they, they got started in the quarter horse racing. And that as a kid, I, you know, that's what we did. We, our horses, uh, went to the racetrack and then in turn, I showed some of them. That is insane. I, I knew that your ranch was big, but I had no idea how large it was. Wow. 
you know, you could ride all day long and never get to the end of it or um, see another person, especially back in those days, because there was, it was really inaccessible. Um, most of the, in the West, most of the land is government land, forest service or thereabouts. And so most of it was forest service. And, but even back then there was no, um, there was no public out on the ranch. It was just out in the middle of nowhere. Wow. I can only imagine what it must've been like growing up on a place like that. And it's obviously made you into the horsewoman that you are today. So with that being said, what are some of your most memorable moments and just most memorable things from growing up on the ranch? Well, you know, that's a, that's a, a deep question. You know, um, there's so many answers to that question, but I think the, the one thing that's the most important for your listeners to realize is that the horses that I grew up with, um, you know, my father um, rode every day of his life and it's rough country, it's brushy country, rocky country. And he got the best horses that he could get at that time for the job they did. They had to be tough footed. They had to be, um, have stamina and be sound and have some cow sense. And some of these horses weren't registered. Um, I started out with my first horse. His name was Roni. And he was the biggest, ugliest individual I think I've ever been around. But he took care of me. And I say, you know, I was probably from 6 to 11. I rode Roni. And, and you know, my dad would say to me, now you take a little circle over there. and I'll meet you in an hour. Well, he trusted that horse enough to take care of me for an hour. I, I knew what the little circle was, you know, and I'd go and get the cows and come back and, um, you know, and as I got older and got to ride some of the better horses, these were the, the absolute best horses. I can remember our, we had a, uh, part of the, part of the, an old headquarters on our ranch was 12 miles from where we lived. And we would take, start out at a trot every morning and we trot our 12 miles. And then we, that's where we branded our cattle. And at the end of the day, we gather all day long and brand. And then at the end of the day, everybody's exhausted. And we would unsaddle our horses and curry them off and um, give them a drink of water and turn them loose. And those horses would just go berserk. They would buck and run and they beat us home because we would drive home in the old power wagon. And they'd, they'd be standing there at the gate waiting for us every single time. And that just, as a kid, that was amazing that horses would do that. So, you know, and, and the other thing is, is that, you know, if you're working on a horse all day long, his well-being is paramount. If you lose a shoe, you get off and you walk home. And then that means 12 miles. That means 12 miles. Yes, my dad took, kept shoeing things with him. But if something happened and you didn't, couldn't get a, a, a shoe on him, you went home you know, you always, always took care of your horse because he was the one that was, that you depended on all day. Yeah. I think that's what makes you such a great horsewoman. You put the horse first and that really shines in who you are as a horsewoman and as a person in general. So going back, you mentioned the horses that you grew up on. What do you look for in a horse today, whether you're just riding or competing? Well, you know, so Lots and lots of water has gone under the bridge from those days until today when I'm lucky enough to ride the fantastic world champions that I have. Um, so getting back to a little bit more history, uh, my parents realized that 
the Ronies of the world weren't going to win me very many trophies. So they got in touch with some, some of their horseman friends like Mr. Jed Morse, and he was a AQHA judge and he was a racehorse trainer. Anyway, he found a horse for me, my first horse. He was an AQHA champion. This horse was um, absolutely amazing and taught me so much, but they realized that they were going to have to get out of their box and find something different and special that had a, a more training, a little bit more of everything. So, um, uh, so to put that into perspective for today, all I can tell you is, is that every single year, our horses get better. We're be breeding better horses. We're breeding horses that are easier to train, that have more athletic ability. So um, all of those things is what I look for, but you're always trying to find that horse that has the wow factor, of course. No, I love that. And so when you said that, that he was a racehorse trainer, is that how y'all got into the horse racing to begin with? That That's such a, it's a different, yeah, it's still kind of tied in with the same, you know, it's, it's competition and all that stuff. How did you guys, you know, get into that to begin with? Well, if you stop and think about it, the Quarter Horse Association is not very old. I mean, they had their first registered horse in 1940. So by the time my parents came to Arizona in 45, 46, they knew they wanted to breed and raise quarter horses. And about the only thing you could do with them at that time in Arizona, especially, was race. And so they started, I mean, that was what the original quarter horse was, was race bloodlines, you know, um, even... Even the, the horses in Texas and the King and horses like that, they were still, they derived from those bloodlines and they wanted speed. They wanted speed to work a cow. So they started racing and my parents started breeding to three bars and be sure now and horses like that. And that's how we got into the racehorse business and did for many, many, many years and loved every minute of it. And, uh, after, after my parents passed away, I continued on. I had a couple of race mares that I tried to breed to the best stallions around and condition their, their yearlings and sell at the yearling sales because the racehorses um, get in your blood and it's hard to get out of. My husband, who is a, a world champion, world-class farrier, he also, he shot at the racetrack for years and years, Kentucky Derby horses. And so the, the race, the racehorses, and they're such wonderful individuals. That's, that's in my blood as well. Awesome. So kind of going into your riding philosophy, do you think that the racetrack horses shape your riding philosophy and your horse philosophy? And what is your riding philosophy today? Well, I think that is um, an interesting question. Yes, the racehorses shaped my, certainly my routine and my belief in um in how you care for a horse, um, because if, if racehorse, if the racetrack and the racehorses is nothing else, it's other, it's nothing other than routine and extreme um, uh, knowledge of, of the horse that you are riding, um, you know, uh, and, and they're cared for and with so much detail, you know, and that's what I like to think is that I love to take, have a horse and be able to um, real think about what what he wants or what he's thinking or what what how he differs from another horse and then I'm able to cater to that I've been lucky with my life in the fact that I've I've had this ranch I've lived on it and 
been able to afford the fact that I don't have to train uh, 25 or 30 horses. I've been able to train a handful of the best. And when you when you can do that, you can give them the the very best care and attention to detail. And that's one thing that the racehorses um, do offer. And at that time, it's just uh, nothing. Nothing goes where uh, you don't notice if there's one something that doesn't happen. I mean, we check our horses every night at eight o'clock. You know, we know exactly how many what they had for dinner and how many poops they have and all of that. That yeah, we maybe carry it a little bit overboard, but um, that's what we seem to enjoy doing. Um, my philosophy, my training philosophy today, you know, I don't know that there's really a philosophy with training horses. I mean, I love what I do every day. I love the different horses and how um, they react differently to, you know, today my deal is ranch riding. I love, I, I also do the cow horse. And I think that the ranch riding is so good for them because it makes them think. Um, it keeps them sharp. It keeps them from being bored. Uh, I think horses need to continually have a job in order to be happy. Oh, 100%. And going back to what you said about the racehorses, my family didn't own them, but I we had friends who were jockeys and trainers. Uh, I'm from the Chicagoland area, and I grew up going to – Arlington racetrack. And, and you're totally right. They had such a routine and those horses were taken care of to the most, you know, extreme levels. And, uh, it's really important to bring into other industries because our animals are just as much athletes as those resources are. Absolutely. And, and the other thing that we do, and again, I am so lucky to, to be able to be able to afford this where I live is our horses are turned out every day. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's raining or snowing or if it's hot or it's cold, they go outside. There's a, there's, everybody has about a, at least an acre paddock that they're turned out in. And, um, I think it keeps them healthier physically and because they're not just standing in a stall, plus the fact their minds, you know, they can, they can actually be a horse. Yeah. Another huge important part that I think a lot of people forget about is, it doesn't matter if it's a $300,000 horse or $3,000 horse, they're horses. They need, they need that outside, you know, just, just to be the animals that they're supposed to be. I think one of the most, um, what's the word, the, one of the most fun or, or pleasurable things that, that I get from, we come from a horse show. We've been at a horse show, whether it's the world show or the sun circuit, and, um, you know, we've been gone, we've been on the road for 10 days or whatever. And we come out and we turn these horses out and just to see their reactions, they, they roll and buck and squeal. I mean, they may have been at a horse show and been tired, but they just react so much to being turned out. I love it. And I, I used to do the same thing with my show horses and they would do the exact same thing. So I, I totally know what you're talking about. Um, but going, going back to your, your horse show experience, and growing up, you did a lot of events. I mean, outside of the horse racing, uh, if I remember correctly, you did the all around and, and everything that went into the horse showings. Well, I did and, on what all you did. Well, I did. And so, you know, I touched a little bit on my folks. They bought me a really nice horse. Um, his name was Irish Buzz and he was, um, oh, just, just a, a wonderful individual. And then pretty soon they realized that, well, there was raining 
And um, so I got a reining horse and I went, they took me for lessons to Jim Paul Sr. And then pretty soon there, and then there was the cow horse and then I got a cow horse. And along the same time, I'm showing horses from the racetrack that, that had been on the racetrack. Um, I was also, I was showing them in horsemanship. I was running them in barrels and poles. And these are horses that my parents had bred you know, that when they started the youth activity program, and that's what we always called it was the youth activity program, they, it was, it was the points for the shows, the all arounds were counted for the, for the youth. It didn't matter whether you showed one horse or five horses. And so that's what my parents did for me. They hauled about five or six horses to the horse show. And um, I showed in every class and the, the shows that offered the English classes is what we called them in those days, and the overfence classes. Well, they found me a very competent um, equestrian that knew her her hunters uh, overfence stuff, and they I had they found me a, a horse. He was actually an old ranch horse, kind of a retired ranch horse, but he would jump anything. And so she taught me how to. Um, how to ride English, and I can't tell you that I was ever very good at it, but I certainly have an appreciation for the discipline and for the horse, and um, I, I feel like that I can judge it better because I have ridden it, and I did everything because we, because it was, um, you know, just the youth and as many horses as you had, all of those points were, were accumulated, and that's how you won the all-around, and then about, oh, in the 70s, late, early 70s, they changed it to one youth, one horse. And um, that's when um, things changed for me because I'd always had different horses because I was, and that I, that's, I kind of got away from the showmanship and the, and the trail and started towards the reining and the cow horse. Yeah, so Nicole and I both come from an all-around horse show background, and I know personally that that really shaped me into the horse person that I am today. So for yourself, how do you think that coming from that background prepared you to be the horse person that you are today? I think it, it meant everything to me because, you know, I, I showed in everything. Certainly, as I told you before, I was no uh, master at any of the, the hunter classes. Um, but, you know, I could... I could certainly do the speed events pretty darn well. I was riding horses that uh, maybe weren't, um, you know, they were they were off the, the racetrack horses. So that made me a better rider. That made me try to figure out how to get something done, work around some problems that we may have. Um, you know, I think it's everything. I think it needs to be, you need to be an all-around, an all-around person. My background, of course, growing up on the ranch, I had knowledge of cattle. And so back in the early years of the working cow horse, if you had knowledge, just that you could kind of read a cow and you knew that this kind of, this cow maybe was a little bit more, um, would run a little faster or wouldn't head as well as another cow. If you knew that, that was an advantage for you in those days. Things have certainly changed at this point. But um, so that's why I kind of moved over to the, to the cow horse and the reining because that's where that's where really my expertise was. You know, you say that the horse show world and the industry has changed over the course of the years. 
and I know that you are really great at staying current and keeping up with the ever-changing trends in the horse world, as well as sticking with your foundations. So how do you go about staying up to date with all of the new training trends and as well as incorporating your foundation into that? Well, um, good question. Um, I think the most difficult thing for someone that is older in today's horse world is staying current, staying up with the trends, staying up with the changing horses, the, the, how the breed has changed, how um, the trading methods have changed, how you view a horse as a judge and how judging has changed. I think all those things are a big obstacle for the for someone that's trying to stay current and um you know my my upbringing and the people my mentors that I grew up with I will never give up what I learned I'm a I'm a a dyed-in-the-wool traditionalist I learned I learned how to um take care of a horse. I learned how to ride with the Romal. I learned about the Vaquero tradition. I learned how to work cattle. I, those are all traditions that I cherish. But along that same token, you can't hang on to those and not update them. Um, so I have, and I'm very proud of myself for, for being able to, to say that I, that I have a group that you know, whether it's, whether it's somebody like a Bob Avila that has helped me through my life just by, just by being around him and watching him ride and how he has stayed current through the years. And then, um, you know, in, in recent years, I've gone down and to Corey Cushing and to Shad Parkinson. And these young guys helped me and, and helped me to stay uh, on top of things and how the working cow horse world is progressing to a complete science. And um, it's, it's, I wouldn't miss it for the world. I mean, I think it's a wonderful thing. And I think it's so important, like I said, to stay right up on top of things. And the ranch riding, the same thing. I mean, the ranch riding continues to get better every year. Um, I hope that I've had a little bit to do with that. But again, it's, it's just because we have better horses, our breeding program is better, and our training um, is much better. Yeah, I have to say I'm very envious of your your background with the traditional working with the cattle, learning how to ride in Romels, all that stuff. I came from a, a very heavy competition all around background and recently started getting into the cow horse stuff, at, you know, and it's amazing how different it is. And I'm so envious of the way that those horses go around, especially the ones that are, you know, in those, the, the two rain and I mean the spade bits and it's just, it's insane to me. And I'm still trying to learn how to read cattle and my gosh, it's hard. <laughs> well, it is, but good for you, you know, good for you. And it's, you know, the way I look at it is, um, you know, you, you never stop learning. So you understand that. I mean, it's, uh, um, when, when you stop sharing ideas, you know, that's when, that's when, when, when I think you get stagnant, you know, and, and I will say one thing, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, you didn't ask questions, you know, I, I, 
I wish that I had my parents now that I could go back and ask all these questions to, because when you were young, you didn't ask questions. When you were young and somebody was helping you, you did what you, what they told you to do. You didn't ask why. So these these trainers today, they don't have that. This Everything has changed. You know, there's so many ideas out there. It's all about sharing ideas. And Well, I tried this. And if you know, if you, if you do this or maybe try this bit, everybody's much more open to sharing ideas and, and talking about working out their problems. It wasn't that way 30 years ago. And that's the, I think the most exciting thing for the young trainers today is they have that all at their disposal. Yeah, I love that. And, um, I've been learning the cow horse from friend, uh, friends of yours too, Janie Jill and Bill Toynton. They are so nice and they let me come ride their cow horses. And I'm so thankful that they let me, I mean, they had Don Murphy over and they let me just come ride and help. And like, I'm so thankful that they allow me to do that because I can't afford a horse. And this is the only way I could ever do something like this. So it's, it's just been an amazing opportunity. And I'm so excited because, you know, the all around stuff, I did it for so long and and, you know, I got, I got burnt out and now it's just, it, it's so much, like you said, you never stop learning. I've, I've learned so much just in the last eight months of trying to, to do this stuff. Well, I think, you know, I have a, I have a, a definite respect for the all around side. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely do. Um, I know that at this point in my life, I don't have the patience to teach it or to show it. Because you have, I mean, I'm, I'm used to, you know, going into a show ring. And so what I do in the cow horse in today's world, it's very different, definitely a young man's sport. And um, so if, if I thought that it was kind of a, a, a preset situation when I went in and there wasn't a lot of, of scoring to it, or there wasn't the cow to level the field. I don't know that I'd be out there showing in the cow horse every weekend because you're going to get beat, but you know, that cow is the great leveler. And every now and then a Corey Cushing is going to draw, uh, draw a bad cow and I'll be able to beat it. That's what keeps the cow horse people. So, you know, so enthusiastic and so wanting, can't wait for the next show because you never know what's going to happen. It's, it's a very humbling experience. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> I did not learn how, hard it was to sort out and pick out the cow you want <laughs> until they asked me to grab the brown cow and I could get every black cow out of there but not the brown <laughs> one <laughs> it's very humbling to say the least but uh, um, going back to your your upbringing when did you decide that you wanted to do this for a living I mean obviously it, it was kind of in your blood to stay in this industry but like what you know some some kids that grow up in the lifestyle that you did decide to go a complete 180 direction, what, what changed, what kept you involved? Well, you know, I continued showing my whole life. Um, and, uh, we were raising horses and I was raising, I was riding the horses and training the horses that we raised. And, um, we had, we were kind of phasing out of the, the, the race horses a little bit. And I was really getting you know, getting back into the cow horses. Um, and, uh, but along all this time, I was, I was riding my own horses and uh, never really, again, was, I was lucky enough that I wasn't having to train for a living per se. I was just enjoying the ride. 
my mother um, was sick. She had uh, emphysema and I took some time off to um, take care of her. And for about 10 years, I stayed really, really close to home and uh, didn't really go to a horse show. And when I got married to Barry, my husband, um, and this has been, we were together for a few years. Um, so this has been, you know, 20, 25 years ago, at least. And, uh, you know, he's the one that said to me, you know, well, you need to start showing again. And I said, oh, no, I, you know, that it kind of passed me by, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, I, I've been out of it too long. And he said, no, you haven't. We, we you know, go do this and, and go ride with this and go, go ride with Bob and, and let's find, you know, and he was, he really pushed me back into it. And um, of course, he, he didn't have to push very hard because that's my life. And that's what I, um, that's where my heart is. And I realized then how important it was to catch back up those years that I'd missed and so I started uh, saying taking a few horses because um, from from customers and they'd say well you know and and you know take this horse and and show this horse and the cow horse and and so that's how I kind of started getting back into it and I started um, taking a few customers that had really nice horses and then that would help me get back at the top of my game and uh you know, so that's probably been about 20 years ago that I started training for the for the public. And again, I've only had just a, a small clientele, but um, they seem to always we seem to always have the most amazing horses. So you mentioned your husband, and I learned that in reading the profile that senior editor Jenny Meyer wrote about you, that you and your husband have a pretty unique backstory do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about that story <laughs> well the reason I'm laughing so do you want the real story or his story so, <laughs> well no um, Barry was a is was a horseshoer and our, our veterinarian here local veterinarian I had a problem with one of the, the yearling racehorses and uh, so he recommended Barry to come shoe shoe shoer and um correct the problem and he did but he was quite um I don't know what the word is judgmental maybe quite judgmental of uh you know why I would have a horse that had this problem and and all these things and and he came and um shod for the first time and I remember him saying um so you know I have uh, heard about this Laurel Walker um all my life and he said I just have to tell you that I'm just quite surprised that you uh have your horses your horses are shod like this and and that you don't have such and such fixed and you don't have this so that's kind of how our relationship started out and anyway many years later um he uh you know we we got together and uh you know he has been he's been a mentor of mine because he's a true horseman and um I always tell everybody he's one of the few that I know that chooses that that can shoe his horse that makes the bridle and and the bit that the horse wears and that also rides it. So I think that's pretty cool. Not only is he a talented horseman, I feel like we have to give him a little shout out because he has also written and done photography for Horse and Rider. And he has, and he does, he writes some articles for some, uh, uh, the New Mexico stockman and things like that. And he his photography. He's getting pretty well known for his photography. And, you know, like I told you before, when we started this, we're just both of us 
I mean, we are so lucky because we get up every morning and get to do what we want to do. So you, you mentioned that your husband's one of your mentors. Uh, who else would you, you consider your mentors throughout your, your journey? I'm sure there's more than you can probably remember off the top of your head, but um, do, you know, who, who did you look up to? Well, you know, like I told you when we first started, my parents, um, and, and as you're a young kid, you don't realize the impact that your parents have on you. And the older I get, the more I, I, I am so appreciative of the, the foundation that they gave me. Um, and, of course, one of the very first trainers I had was old Jim Paul, Jim Paul Sr., and uh, he was, uh, you know, he pretty much taught me everything that I, that I know. And, um, so when I was a young, when I was, I don't know, maybe 14 or so, and I don't really know why, but my parents let me spend the summer with Tony Amaral. And that was a wonderful experience. I mean, Tony was absolutely the best. And then a little bit later on, um, Don Dodd spent a couple of summers at our ranch, um, and I got to work with him. And of course, that was, that was just so spectacular. And the whole time that I was working with him, I was just, I kept telling myself how sorry I was that I didn't get have get to work with him when I was younger, because he was, uh, again, he was the, the consummate horseman and cowman. And you know, those, those are, are not really very many anymore. And I mean, cowman, as far as, uh, not working cows in an arena. I mean, knowing cattle inside and out. Um, and of course, and through the years, Bob Avila, and like I said before, uh, right now, and, and how they, they've helped me and kept me current are, are Shad Parkinson and Corey Cushing. And so. That's a really, really good group of people to have in your corner. That's for sure. Like, you know, a lot of them are horse and rider contributors or have been in the past and and yeah what a what a group of horsemen and, and women to to have around you yeah I've, I've truly been blessed so you mentioned a lot of the professionals that you, you worked with um but as a professional yourself uh being a female in an industry that's very male dominated what was that like were there any struggles that you came across as a female you know that's uh that's a very hard answer subject for me to, to answer because I don't think that there was any difficulties. I mean, yes, it was, it was, it might have been difficult because there weren't very many of us. Um, there, there weren't a lot of female women trainers out there. Um, and I, it not in my world, I don't care whether you're talking horse racing or the hunter jumper world or, or whatever it was, there just were not a lot of women trainers. And in typical equine world, I mean, you know, nobody ever, we never said or talked to each other and said, well, how come she's not a trainer? We've got, we women have, it, it was just never, ever talked about. Um, and I think that uh, myself personally, you know, I mean, I think that I just, knew that I had to try to present the best horse that I could, the best um, uh, maneuvers that I could, present the best picture, be overall the top of my game. And, but I never had a problem with that. And I don't think, I mean, I never 
had a problem becoming a judge or anything like that. Do I think that, um, that in the beginning, I mean, people like Sandy Collier and, and those, those women that were at the very forefront of the working cow horse world, did they have a tougher time getting a higher score? Probably. But I don't think if you ask them, and I'm probably putting words in their mouth, I don't think that they're the least bit bitter or, or have any animosity. It's just that, that there weren't very many women trainers. Um, whether, you know, you talk about, um, you know, nowadays these, these young women that are out there and they're out there, they're at the top, they're, they're beating the guys. They can beat the, the men on any given day. Um, again, it goes back to there's, there's more women going into the training. There's more women going into the judging. Um, and there's more information out there to be, uh, better teachers and better judges and better horse trainers. So, um, you know, I don't think that I ever encountered anything as a woman. I always felt lucky to be a woman and to be able to ride the good horses that I was able to ride. Yeah, it's, I, I love reading your story because it's such an inspiration to, to, you know, people like me who I love seeing like other women that are just at the forefront of the game, like you said, and just you know, not letting that make a difference and going out there and getting those good horses and putting out those patterns and laying down these amazing runs. So that's, that's really inspiring. So going, going back through your whole career and it could be from last year, or it could be Roni from your childhood. Uh, you know, what is, what are some of the horses that you credit for making you the rider that you are? Like, what about them made it, made them special? Well, um, you know, I told you about my first horse, Irish Buzz. He was just, uh, he was a great horse. He knew it all. And he taught me so much, so many things. And uh, then we, there was, through my life, there was a progression of, of great horses. Um, uh, you know, uh, and as I started getting back in the more current years, um, one of the first horses that we, we got was a, a horse called Little Black Shiner. Um, he was by Shining Spark, and he had uh, he had won the excuse me he was I think he was third at the reigning fraternity. Todd Bergen rode him, and then they started his cow horse career, and then we got him, and we still have him today. I think he's 24. He's out in the pasture and just uh, an amazing individual. Um, and I I got a horse um, in oh not very many years ago, maybe 10 years ago, a horse called um, Smoking Like Hail. He was by Shine Like Hail. And I had gotten him from Bob Avila's program and he had gone to the NRCHA Futurity. And I was, I showed him and he got me back on top in the reigning world, which is moving so fast and, and, and becoming such a, a precise, uh, beautiful uh, event. You know, so that was, that was a wonderful, th that was a great thing for that, for me to be able to ride that horse at that level. Um, and uh, then um, we got a horse called, um, and I still have him and still showing him, his name's Lena's Last Time. Um, Corey Cushing showed him at the NRCHA Futurity. And, and he, this is when I got, we call him Smithers. And when I got Smithers, he, um, you know, just had the cow horse background. 
And uh, it was along about that time that the ranch riding was really starting to uh, get big and get popular. So I started showing him in the ranch riding. And he's a, he's a little horse, but he has a big stride and a wonderful look. And he's just fantastic at it. Right now, he has about 250 ranch riding points, and he has over 100 cow horse points. And I'm trying to, I would love to get his superior in the reining before I quit on him. So he's been uh, a horse that has, that, that has been able to change over and, and do the ranch riding and the cow horse at the same time. And then, of course, I got uh, Light and Lucky, which is the horse that I won the, uh, the world show on. I was second, I was reserved last year. And uh, he, uh, he's by uh, Light and Fine. And just uh, the, the world's most spectacular horse looking and, and riding because he's so feely. He, he's the one horse, modern day horse that I have that literally when I tell you all I have to do is think it, he does it. Yeah. And we have shared, I'm pretty sure we shared on Facebook, your winning run on him and he's stunning. Well, thank you. And he is, I mean, he, he truly is, uh, you know, he, he's just an amazing horse and his owner, uh, Nancy Gillette has been showing him this year and he's, he's just making the, uh, the, the change to being a non-pro horse and an open horse with flying colors. Kind of segueing into the ranch riding stuff. Uh, that, I mean, the ranch riding is still a fairly new event, but it's, I mean, I think it's safe to say it has exploded. Like everybody wants to do this class. Can you kind of talk about the, you know, first of all, what attracted you to doing this event, but the importance of having an event like ranch riding in these horse shows to, to kind of keep, the the more traditional western stuff alive i think well it is and and what attracted me to it is is, you know i think that when the class first started it was um i'm not so sure that aqha fully realized how the impact it would have i think that they were trying to find an alternative to the western pleasure class but when it first, then it got off the ground and it just be, had got a life of its own. And um, it became the fact that, okay, here is this horse that has beautiful movement, that is well-behaved, that is well-broke, that can execute these maneuvers. And um, as people saw it and saw the size of it, they realized, you know, I can do that. You don't have to have a trainer. I don't have to have somebody to help me uh, make a plus one, those spins at lightning speed, you know, I can go out there and I can work with my own horse. Yeah, I can, maybe I need to get some help, but then I can go home and work on it myself. And I think that's been the beauty of the ranch riding is, is that um, you have horses that are natural movers. Okay. I don't care whether a horse, and I'm just talking about this too, on another, on another, um, uh, web thing that I'm doing is, is I don't care whether a horse travels with his head down or travels with his head level or travels with his head up, whatever is comfortable to him as a judge. And as a trainer, you should appreciate that horse's level, no matter what it is, as long as that's where he wants to be. That's so awesome. And we know that you're a judge for the ranch riding. And with the COVID-19 situation, we've been seeing a lot of different creative ways for how people are continuing to show 
One of the things that we noticed was that you are judging the ranch riding in the virtual horse show with Charlie Cole. And we wanted to get your opinion on how good it's been for the community and just how it is to judge a show virtually and just what everything about it is like. Well, I think, number one, I think that the what I'm part of, the virtual horse show that Charlie uh, Cole started, I think is brilliant. You know, he mostly, he's involved in the, in the, the Western riding and the, the showmanship and the horsemanship and the things like that. And that's kind of how he started out on, on his page on Facebook. And the response was so amazing, so overwhelming. I mean, so he would have 150 entries within 24 hours. And that was insane how fast it grew. It it is. And, and so how, I mean, so that is one of the, if there's anything good that could ever come out of this quarantine situation is that um, because thanks to social media, all these people were reached. They went out, they ran a pattern, they walked the showmanship, they did whatever they did. They practiced. Um, Some people talked about, you know, they, the snow wasn't even off the ground yet, or they had snow the night before and they had to go, you know, so they went out and they worked on it and they held up a, a phone, they videotaped it and they sent it in. I mean, to me, it's so exciting. I, I think this is a, a truly wonderful thing that's come out of it. And there's, there's various other people that are doing it. There's other people that are doing the ranch writing online things. And then you can have a critique. And I think it's a, in my opinion, it's one of the best things that's happened. Now, do I think that it will continue at this level when we get back to showing? No, not at this level, but I think it should continue. I think it should continue at, uh, at with, with a little, you know, I think people are going to continue sending in videos. Hopefully Charlie will keep doing it or they'll have another site that will do it because it's a good way to watch other people. It's a good way to learn. And it isn't the bottom line that we all become better horsemen. And I think that's what these sites provide. And it could be different for you, but I think my favorite part about all of this is the camaraderie that comes with it. I love seeing somebody posting a video and saying, you know, I haven't been able to ride. I just had a baby or my horse has been, you know, pasture for winter and here's my video. And then you get 50 comments of just people telling him like, you you know, you did so great. I love your horse. I love this. I love that. I just, I love the positivity that comes with it. And I, I think on a personal level, it's something that I've missed when I was in the show pen, uh, which has been for a while now, but, uh, I just, I think that's what I really love is, is how happy and friendly and supportive everybody was. It doesn't matter if you're a famous writer or if you are doing a ranch riding pattern for the first time in your life. Well, that's true. And so, you know, when I was a kid growing up and, you know, yes, some of us had trainers, but most kids didn't, but that didn't make any difference. We still had uh, camp outs and cookouts and we had costume parties and we had fun things. And, you know, it was never, all the kids, you were all involved in whatever it was. And as the horse shows got bigger, uh, more money, better horses, more trainers, it seems like lines were drawn um this barn you know they kind of stayed to themselves and these this barn over here and these they kind of stayed to themselves some of my best friends were today were my best friends when i was 10 years old 
I don't know that we're having that today. And that's one of the best things that I see about this, uh, the virtual horse showing is, is that, like you said, the positive comments, everybody is out just to enjoy their horse. Absolutely. We get into showing horses and competing because of our love for horses. So this Facebook group is a great way for people who don't have the means or the ability to go and show all the time, all summer long, all winter long, and go be judged by these world-class judges all the time. This is their opportunity to be judged by fantastic judges and to get feedback on their rides and to join a community that we all know and love and become part of a horse show family. Yeah, we were so excited when we saw that you were judging the virtual horse show stuff because um, on our podcast the last couple times, we have a current event section that we talk about before we do an interview. And the the virtual horse shows have been kind of our current event, you know, talking about like, this is what people are doing when we're all in lockdown. And we were so excited to get to talk to you and get kind of like your perspective as a judge doing this. Well, I think one of the most interesting things, and again, I'm just talking about the, the virtual horse show, is that um, is attire. What, what is required? You know, you need to have a hat or a helmet. You need to have a long sleeve shirt, boots and jeans. Um, shaps are not allowed. So, um, you know, so I, I'm watching the, the people in, in showmanship and um, on, in the trail classes and stuff like that. And even in the ranch riding, it's very interesting. You're judging on video. And, and I think it's really a good thing because as a judge, you're focusing 100% on the horse and, and, and what his performance is and the teamwork between the horse and the rider. You're not being distracted by everything else that gets in the way, whether it's silver or saddles or bling or wild rags or chinks or it's just the horse. And, and, and I find that really interesting and, and fun to judge. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. We, we absolutely loved reading the profile that Jenny did with you a couple years back. And, and we love how much you contribute for horse and rider and, and we're, we're so thankful that you took time out of your busy schedule to come talk with us and, and so that our listeners could get to know you on an even more personal level. Well, thank you ladies very much. And again, um, you know, I just want to compliment horse and rider for staying current and staying interesting and, and keeping up with the, on the cutting edge of everything. And it, I feel very honored to be a part of it. And now it's time for our time to saddle up segment, which is where we talk about our favorite product or just something really cool that's going on in the horse industry that we're really liking right now. So Michaela, what is your time to saddle up for this week? Yeah, so my time to saddle up this week, since I'm going to be heading to a barrel race, this is something that I use on my horses, both horses, every single time I make a run, and that is flare nasal strips. They are really handy for horses that are prone to bleeding in their lungs when they have exercise and they're running a lot or just horses that need that extra help breathing. I know I've had 
Just a couple of instances where I've seen blood coming out of my horse's nose after I make a run. So just put a flare nasal strip on before I make any sort of run on my horses. That way they feel protected. And ever since I've started using them, I have not seen any blood come out of my horse's nose. So I feel like they're protected. And I also know that they help your horses recover quicker after they're done running. So they are just a really handy product to have, especially if you're running barrel horses, horses on the racetrack, anything like that. They are the ultimate breathing product that coupled with some other pace that I use that is my go-to regimen before race and it seems to work for me so if you're interested in flare strips be sure to check them out at flarestrips.com nice and mine while it's something I use when I'm riding it's not necessarily a horse product but I have super fair skin, so I need sunscreen or I burn. You have witnessed this. I have burned when we were on like 13-hour video shoots, and I am sitting in the sun all day and not paying attention to the fact that my sunscreen's worn off. But I have been using this Sol de Janeiro sunscreen, and it's SPF 50. It's a stick, which is what I really like about it because then I can grab it and take it to the barn, and it's not going to melt or it's not going to get like super liquidy in my car. Uh, but it's, yeah, like I said, SPF 50, it smells like coconuts. It's amazing. I love it and I can use it on my lips and in my hands and everything that's really prone to getting burnt. So sunscreen is a must in the summer when I am riding. So that is my time to saddle up. That's a pretty good time to saddle up. If you ask me, I think both products are pretty awesome. So if you don't use these products, check them out because Nicole and I love them and use them for ourselves and if you guys have a product that you love to use like we've mentioned time and time again in all of our episodes email us send us a message on facebook however you want to reach us and let us know what your favorite products are thank you guys for tuning into the ride podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts Follow Horse and Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com. If you guys have any questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at aimmedia.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. How many stars, Michaela? Five stars, please.